for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. Uh, the Oktoberfest feels so good when it hits the lips, Matt Zimmer. Why, why won't you just try an Oktoberfest? Have you tried Oktoberfests before? Any Oktoberfest? Or is it just Budweiser for the rest of your life? You're not trying any new beers. I drink lots of different beers all the time. I just always end up going back to, like, I'll have one or two of them, but like, why am I doing this? And go back to my old standard. But uh, this Sunday, uh, Jen and I took Arthur to the pumpkin patch for a festive Halloween thing, and I drank three Oktoberfests while I was there because they didn't have Budweiser. Okay, so. and you enjoyed them? Yeah. It was good, okay? Yeah. It's better than drinking a Coke or a water. And all I right. wanted a beer while I was... Well, Picking out pumpkins. I just say this because a couple weeks ago when we were doing this at the Gateway, I was ordering a beer from our server, and do you have Oktoberfests? We're out. Which, of course, Oktoberfests are very popular, whether it's a Shells or Sam Adams, Boston Lager, Line and Kugels. I love them all, and I love it because, just like pumpkin spice for some people, I only get it for two months, and I love the taste. So I'm going to drink as much of it as I can. Out of Oktoberfest, okay, how about IPAs? Well, what kind of IPAs do you got? And I could just see your inner clock ticking getting very impatient like and you just finally you just blurted out because because i wasn't sure because then i asked her to describe the ipas oh, yeah. and you're like just drink a real beer <laughs> and i'm like do you and i told you like to a degree like ipas are stronger and have more alcohol it's more you could contest it's more of a real beer no, than, okay no, then no. tell me why budweiser snob why 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 i, I got nothing just <laughs> The fact that some dude concocted a beer that has more alcohol in it doesn't make it more of a beer. Well, I, I don't, you know. Yeah. I'm just saying, quit being so picky. Sometimes you have to drink a Coors Light, you know? Yes. Oh, I'm fine with that, too, yeah. sometimes. Yeah. But if there's other options that I like better, I'll, I'll go to those first. I don't mind if... Yeah, if I go to... Just like you at the pumpkin fat patch, if I go to a place where uh -huh. Coors Light, Bud Light are the only options, I will have that if I want to drink beer. So it's fine. It is fine. All right. Uh, there's a lot to get to. There's... Uh, I, we do this. We we do this. We did this almost every year when you appeared on the daily radio show on a weekly basis. And I think this weekend lent itself to college versus pro. What's more fun to watch? If you only had one football to watch, college or pro, you had to choose for the rest of your life. College Saturdays, pro Sundays, and forget about the day. Just a day full of this or that. Uh, just because it was such an awesome day for college football, it brought out the college football snobs. And I want to get to that. Uh, there's a lot of Vikings to discuss with uh, the, the, the biggest... I watched not one single play of the game, just to warn you. The biggest... Well, that's fine. <laughs> there's not much to watch. There's not, there's not a lot to figure out in that one, okay? It was another Vikings shit show. They won. They shouldn't have. They did basically because the Lions are the Lions. And uh, it still makes the conversation uh, and the case that uh, it should be over with Mike Zimmer. If not, probably the bye week, uh, which probably won't be the case, but... Uh, after the season is over, I, I just it's the case gets stronger and stronger that the Mike Zimmer era should be over in Minnesota. We'll get to that, but let's uh, let's start with the Jacks. Um, John Stigmar to me continues to live the Tom Osborne life. Um, my analogy about the former Husker legend last year with Stig coming this close to winning the national title was Tom Osborne coached Nebraska for over 20 years. For the most part, a respected man in the community. For the most part, won a bunch of games. For the most part, he's our guy. But he continued as he built Nebraska. He continued to not quite win the big games, and Stig still has his troubles occasionally against NDSU. And at some point, you're like, win the national title. And then finally, Tom Osborne against Florida State one year came within seconds and one field goal at the end of beating Florida State for the national title. And then the floodgates opened. He won three of the next four and retired. I feel the same way for John Stiegelmeyer because that's what that national championship loss uh, to Sam Houston State uh -huh. in the final seconds. Like, okay, it's a strong program. All the guys are coming back. This should fuel their run for a national title. And now the extra layer is one of Tom Osborne's most famous things ever that he's identified with. Go ahead. Get ready for your Lawrence Phillips jokes. <laughs> was going for two. He went for two. You, you even would know this one, don't you? Nebraska-Miami national title, 1983. Uh -huh. 
This is back when there was no overtime in college football. Uh-huh. But the Huskers are undefeated. They've been, they were at the time considered, and still the sum, one of the best teams in college football history. Certainly the best offense in college football history. Turner Gill, Mike Rozier, Irving Fryer. Uh, like, they scored 50 points a game. And, uh, but Miami gives them a, a test. This is when Miami was just starting the U dynasty. And uh, Nebraska, with 30 seconds left, scores a touchdown. Either you kick the extra point and you win the national title. They're not letting Miami share that because Miami's lost a game or two. Mm -hmm. Nebraska wins the national title if they tie Miami. Uh, And Tom Osborne goes for two because I want to win the damn game. Uh, If we can't win the damn game, I don't want to win the national title. They don't get it. And, you know, much debated in the pre-sports talk show era if that was the right thing to do. But ultimately, as time went on and time healed with three national titles, people thought Osborne... This just adds to his godlike status forever in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. He went for two. He went for mm-hmm. the win. All right. This is not a national title game, but this is a national championship run. Jackrabbit fans are hoping is happening. And he goes for two, John Stingmeyer. This is the first overtime, correct? First and only overtime. Yep. You're at home. And I didn't see a second of that game. But I'm in the Howard Woodfield press box with some other football luminaries of Sioux Falls. All we know and all we hear is we get the word that SDSU blew a 20-point lead, blew a 14-point fourth-quarter lead, and had to go to overtime. And then at home, as the favorite and the number two team in the country, John Stegemeyer, goes for two. Mm-hmm. When the conventional knowledge is that's what you do when you're the underdog right. team. Or on the road. I yeah. know, And so I know you um, have heard from Jack's fans. I'm sure a lot of them are upset. And how did you feel about it? Um, maybe it's because you weren't there, but I feel like you're – focusing on something that most people aren't and I'm not criticizing you in saying that I get the sense that going for two isn't the big story uh it's that they blew a 20 point lead at home um the way the game was playing out I think not everyone but like just judging by say my twitter mentions and some of the things I read online uh everyone seemed to be pretty much in agreement that that was the right way to do it because of the way the game played was playing out like you said Generally, when you're the, the overdog, when you're at home, when you're the better team... Um, the overdog? I've never heard that before. You're supposed to go, you know, play for the tie and hope that eventually you will win because you're the superior team and the longer the game goes, yada yada. By this time in the game, the Jacks were no longer the better team. Uh, their defense was absolutely exhausted. Uh, their offense had put them in some tough spots throughout the game. Special teams had. Uh, they had just been on the field so much. They couldn't get off the field on all these fourth downs. Couldn't stop him. And I think John Stigel might recognize, like, you know, let's just try to win the game right now on this play and not ask any more of our defense, which is out of gas. Um, and also, uh, Southern Illinois' defense wasn't looking too great either. The Jacks had just scored in their overtime possession, start their 30-yard line, took them two plays. Boom, boom, touchdown. Um, they, just picked, they just called a bad play. And it was hard to get a real good explanation for what was the thinking behind the play, uh, I think Chris Oladokun either made the wrong read, well, plus he made a bad throw, but it just was a failed play from the beginning, which I think added to the angst. You know, if they had run the ball with Pierre Strong and he had been tackled just shy of the goal line or, you know, a linebacker for Southern Illinois had made a diving play to tip the ball out of the receiver's hands, that'd be one thing. But the play ran and everyone's just looking around and he's like, that was it? You went for two to do that? You know? And uh, so that is, you know, contributing to a lot of the frustration um, but also, like I said, the, the the story here is that they had a twenty to nothing lead, were outgaining Southern Illinois at that point in the game two seventy to twenty. I mean, they were doing exactly to the Salukis what they did to Lindenwood, um, and, there were, and there was no reason it couldn't have continued. Um, you know, they were they turned the ball over in the red zone a couple of times. They settled for, and it wasn't just that they settled for field goals. It looked like they were playing for field goals at times. You know, they're down in the red zone, just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Like not, not too much creativity, not any sort of misdirection or using anything other than we have Pierre Strong and a good offensive line. If we can't score, well, then we'll just kick three. And and this uh, is when they were up by a bunch of points. It was throughout the entire game. Okay. Well, it worked for a while, obviously. Yeah. And uh, that's the thing. Like whenever a team blows a big lead like that, the easy thing to say is well they got out coached you know or you know that's usually on the coaches when you blow a lead like that and there's definitely some truth to that in this case and I, I think the Jacks coaches would be lying to themselves if they didn't admit that I mean the offensive play calling was really strange at times 
Um, some of the decisions didn't work out. But I, I think it would definitely be a stretch to just say, oh, they got out coached. Nick Hill did a lot of really stupid shit, too. Um, he took a field goal off the board, you know, the, the cardinal sin of taking points off the board. Mm-hmm. Not only did they not convert, the Jacks turned it into a 99-yard defensive touchdown. Um, and they still lost the game. That's what, you know... I didn't think for one minute that this was, oh, Nick Hill outcoached the Jacks. No, both coaching staffs had a pretty bad game, if you ask me. Um, but the Jacks players, you know, Chris Oladokun didn't have a good game. Turned it over three times. He hadn't turned it over once all year. And all three turnovers were really crucial, or, you know, clutch. They weren't like, oh, it was third and 21 and we threw it deep and the guy picked off, you know, like a punt or something. Like, these were, you know, crushing interceptions. Um the last drive of, of regulation, when Southern Illinois went to tie the game, they converted two fourth downs, and the Jacks had them both times. You know, they call a blitz on one play. The guy comes in completely unblocked, just misses the quarterback. That means the coaches called the right play. They sent a blitz at the right time. You screwed it up. You missed the tackle. So you can't blame that one on the coaches. And you could definitely sense, uh, you know, John Stigelmeyer, not the kind of guy who's going to throw his players under the bus, but he did say after the game, Jesus, you know, we sent a guy in a blitz, and he was right there, and he missed him. You know, if he makes that tackle, the game's over and they win, and we're sitting here going, oh, man, they almost blew that one, but they're still 5-0. Yeah. And, oh, and, and, oh, by the way, they beat a top-10 team. I mean, this was supposed to be a good game, right? Yeah. Do you yeah. know what the line was before the game? I don't. Uh-uh. I okay. never looked. But, I mean, it's three versus seven, yeah. a rematch of a national quarterfinal game mm-hmm. last year. That also with went down to the Supposedly wire. the same players, and apparently for SIU, a better quarterback than they had last year right. because that guy got beat out. So, I mean, this is a formidable opponent, but still, if you want to win a national title, you want to take the next step, you got to win this game. And so... It, it, It'd be one thing if they just got outplayed the whole way, you yeah. know, and lost 31-24 to 24 or something. You'd, you'd still be like, well, maybe they're not as good as they, we thought they were, whatever, whatever. It's the fact that you have a 20 to nothing lead at home. You don't lose that. Right. You know, North Dakota State doesn't blow a 20 to nothing lead at home when mm. they're in their national championship seasons. That's just, you know, I hate to... You know, overemphasize it, but that is an inexcusable loss. You cannot allow that to happen if you consider yourself a contender for the national championship. Okay, so it does kind of go back to kind of like the NFL. So many games are close. So many things happen. Football's a complicated sport. I mean, we drop the gavel too often. Fans do. Media does. It's happening with Nebraska right now because some people think, oh, Nebraska is definitely on the upswing after the way they played the last three weeks with some disastrous things at the end. But they're competitive. They're competing against top 20 teams. So... You know, uh, game after game one, after three years of Scott Frost, I'm like, this guy, it's not happening. This guy's a, this guy's out of control. Hate to use the word shit show for the second time in 12 minutes, but that's what Nebraska was, and it, it's completely changed its course to where I'm already inching toward. Okay, Scott deserves plenty of time. This is going to change, uh, but there's a lot of nuance to every football game because there's 22 people on the field. There's a there's you know 150 plus plays, but. In the NFL and in an evenly matched college game, it does come down to big decisions like going for two or not. So the the percentages would say he like you're more likely to win that game if you're at home, even with all the momentum they have, and and how tired and bad your defense is at that point. Uh, You're more likely to not lose, obviously, by kicking the extra point than you are to go for two. Well, Cole Frommett also missed his last two kicks. Um, You know, I think that probably played into it too a little bit. So it sounds like the problem could be, depending on who you are, who you are, that Stiegelmeyer made the wrong choice to go for two. But also the play, the play call was not his, though, right? No. no, Well, supposedly neither was the decision to go for two. He said that that was also Jason X's decision. Shouldn't it be John's decision? I I mentioned in my column on Monday that you know, it's nice of Stig to be like. You know, I let my coaches coach and I listen to my players because we asked him, why'd you go for two? And he basically said, because Jason Eck wanted to. And then he called the play. And then we also asked him, there was a big, uh, on the last drive of regulation, Southern Illinois had third and 21, and or they had third and 11, and they threw an incomplete pass, but got called for holding. So they had a choice. Take the penalty and make it third and 21, or decline the penalty and make it fourth and 11. They declined it, and SIU ended up converting the fourth and 11. Mm. I think that's a defensible decision. You could go either way. Um, but when we asked him, why did you make that choice? He said, well, we asked the defense. We asked the players what they wanted to do. And they said, decline it so we can get a stop. And again, that's great that Stig listens to other people and you know is open-minded and it's a sort of democratic thing. But at some point, you're the head coach. You have to be the one to kind of step up and say... I'm making this call right now. And the fact that two things, you know, and those are the only two we know of. There might have been other situations during the game. At some point, it's like, what are you doing? You know, are you the coach or not? And uh, I I don't, like I said, I think 
the decision to go for two, whether it was Stiggs or Jason X, I, I agreed with it. I felt, felt the way the game was going, I didn't like their chances in overtime. And if they um, but, get it, of course, we're all going, right, right, big right. ball stick. And, and I think you know. uh, declining the penalty, I think I would have done the same thing, too. You, should, you have one of the best defenses in the country. You should be able to yeah. get a stop on fourth and 11, you know. Um, but, yeah, it, it was a little bit, you know, I'm not sitting here telling Stig how to coach, but for him to, on both of those instances where we questioned him, say, well, I left it up to somebody else, it, it kind of just had a little bit uh, of a sense of, not that he was passing the buck. I don't think he was trying to to shift blame. Yeah. But it's just like, dude, then make a call at some point. You know, you have to, you know, have to, because it's not necessarily related, but once Southern Illinois scored to make it 20-7, to 7, you could see this coming a mile away because the Jacks had blown so many up. They should have been up 34 to nothing. So when they make all these mistakes and, and like, well, 20 to nothing is still a nice lead, but it should be 30 at least. Then they score to make it 20 to 7. You go, here it comes. Here it comes. And I feel like maybe that's the moment where Stig could have stepped up and said, all right, I'm going to take charge here for a minute, you know, and, and right this ship, get things settled down. Yeah, you have to pick your spots. Yeah. If you want to be, uh, I don't want to use the age or the experience part of this into the equation, but if you want to be a veteran head coach who's accomplished a lot and now feels like, hey, I've got great assistants, I've got great coordinators, I'm going to delegate authority, and you know, I'm going to be happy to give them the credit when we win a bunch. Mm-hmm. That's Everybody sees the logic in that and mm-hmm. understands. And also, you give credence to it because the man has uh, built an empire, he's built a great program, and you build stocks, so every big decision well, that he makes it's, like it's that. Part, and part of it is it's his but personality, this, it's his coaching style. Yeah. We all know there are coaches that are much more that are dictators essentially you know and Stig's never been that guy well the downside is like I I look back to a guy like when Bobby Bowden died everybody heaped praise on him but Bobby Bowden Joe Paterno who was coaching till he was 83 and was clearly not even coaching anymore uh, clearly was not coaching anymore but the thing is is when the the advantage you are able to have as a head coach especially at the higher levels when there's 90,000 people in the stadium and millions of people are watching on tv in the Jacks case, not nearly as many, but still high profile, highest profile we've ever experienced in South Dakota with our college football. <laughs> like, um, it's, and I'm not saying John does this on the sidelines, but, uh, and he was just being honest. I love his candor. He could have just taken the blame, mm-hmm. and he was honest about it and said, I gave them the decision to make these decisions, so I, I admire and I, I appreciate that. But sometimes uh, it's those quote-unquote CEO coaches that let, that don't call plays, and then even big decisions, they let other coaches make them. Uh, when it doesn't go well, you know, you'll see, like, a Nick Saban, for example, <coughs> blast into Lane Kiffin back in the day mm-hmm, on the side. Mm-hmm. What the hell you call? Why'd mm-hmm, you do that? Mm-hmm. Well, fuck you. You're the head coach. Mm-hmm. Screw you. You have, the, you have the authority to veto everything. So no matter what, even if you're delegating authority, the blame falls on you a little bit for delegating right. that authority. Right. And the thing I guess I'd love to know, I, I don't know if you asked or not, and I under, would understand if you didn't ask him, is, okay, what would you, what would you have done? I mean, what was your preference in the moment? It doesn't really matter because... I think... The, and I'm not being critical of Stig. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just adding some layers. I here. think it was my first year on the beat. They were playing Northern Iowa at home, yeah. and they did the same thing. They scored yeah. a touchdown. Uh, it wasn't in overtime, but it was because I want to say they lost the game... 10 to 9 or something something like that yeah and uh they scored a touchdown late an extra point would have tied it two point conversion would win it they went for two didn't get it and in that particular case i remember stig saying that it was his decision uh so i don't know if he just gives jason eck a little more authority than he did eric eidsness at that time or if he just was taking the blame at that time i'm not sure um but for one thing it shows that stig has a history of doing that and i think he would have done the same thing I, i you know Sometimes I think the Stig's hands-off approach leads some people to think that he actually isn't involved in anything, and he doesn't that, that he's essentially a Joe Paterno, that that's his role, and it's not. You know, Stig's no, a lot sharper. No, than people he's not absent-minded. Yeah, no, he's, he's much sharper than people give him credit for. He's not a. Be- I uh, think he could, Joe Paterno was a deadbeat, basically. I think John could see what was happening and go, uh, "Our defense is done. You know, they're wiped out. Yeah. Uh, we need to go for two here and yeah, just try to win this game and get the, the hell game. out of here." Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why you can't just apply the mathematic formula of. You're the home team, and you're the favorite. Therefore, thus, you have to yeah. pick the extra point. That's only something the road team underdog does. Right. You have to uh, be watching Jeff, the game and understand. Jeff Colpack from Fargo texted me. He goes, and he wasn't. He was genuinely asking, like, why'd they go for two? You know, doesn't generally the better team yeah. play for the tie? And I said, they, by this point in the game, they weren't the better team yes, anymore. Yes, at that you know, moment. Yeah. Correct. So, 
Correct call, bad play call, uh, complications, nuances. Uh, I find it all very fascinating, but what are the ramifications now? Well, I mean, Southern Illinois is probably going to win the conference because they don't have to play NDSU. Mm. Uh, and they also don't have to play USD, who is now number 21 in the country after beating uh, North Dakota. Uh, so, you know, I don't think SIU is going to run the table, but it looks awful fav- awfully favorable for them. Now, from the Jacks' standpoint, they had a real chance to run the table here. I don't think that's ever really realistic in a league this good to expect a team to, to go undefeated, but all of SDSU's tough games are at home. You know, they got Indiana State, uh, Western Illinois, Youngstown State on the road, and then USD at the end. Um, Southern Illinois, home. UNI, home. Both North Dakotas, home. Well, you kind of look at it and go, okay, that's a bunch of good teams at home. They're probably going to lose one of those games, even with it being at home. Well, they just lost one. And in a vacuum, that's okay. But again, it's the fact that you had a 20 to nothing lead and you were killing them. You weren't just, it's not just that it was 20 to nothing. Southern Illinois players had to be looking around going, oh my God, we're getting the ever living shit beat out of us right now. Yeah. That's what sucks so much about it for SDSU. Like, you weren't just up by 20 points, you were demoralizing them and you lost that fucking game. Okay, I'll go back to it then. How much of the fault is that of the coaches? How much is that the players? To just the twenty nothing lead part. Forget about the two point conversion. Both, because like I said, Chris yeah. Oladokin made a bunch of really Takes bad mistakes. Yeah, you know the the yeah. play calling got too passive and it wasn't aggressive okay. enough. Right. But it, to, to, but to get back, you know what are, what are the ramifications? Well, you lose to North Dakota State now. You're looking at a two loss season. Uh, you still got to go to the dome, the uh, the Dakota Dome, beat USD. That's not a given. You lost no. the last time you were there. Yep, they're ranked now. They're looking good. Um, yeah, North Dakota's coming in here. UNI is coming in here. I mean, like I said, I don't think anyone was expecting SDSU to go eleven and zero. But if they want to get a top seed and be home for the playoffs, not have to go to the Fargo Dome in December, you're going to have to go at least nine and two, probably ten and one. And if you had run the table and gone eleven and zero, then you're good. You got everything yeah. taken care and of. And now you're rooting, now you got to watch Southern Illinois and hope they lose. Yeah. But even if they lose and you guys tie with one loss, obviously they still win the league. Or 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 what happens is you root for Southern Illinois to go undefeated and say, I'd rather go to uh, Carbondale in December than Fargo, because you well, would. You, I don't care what their now, records would are. would you almost rather go to Carbondale than Brookings? Here's, of course, you'd, <laughs> you could here, make that argument, absolutely. Here's where, I'm, here's where I'm getting at that. Sometimes, and I think that it's been the case with Nebraska football, uh, there's many reasons above what I'm about to say for Nebraska football becoming irrelevant and up until the last few weeks, a joke. Uh, compared to what it obviously used to be, which was the top of the mountain 25 years ago. Uh, and that is, there's so much pressure when you're still, when you're a Nebraska football player uh, and a Nebraska football coach, to win games as, as wildly uh, delusional as some Husker fans' standards are of what it should be. Like, there's, there's you can just say that SDC would have more pressure at home than in Carbondale without making a big Nebraska analogy about it. I could, but why not have the grandiose Nebraska <laughs> reference? You know what I'm saying. Fine. Like it, it has, you, you go to the game, so you would know better than I do. It, does it have a feeling of national championship or bust? These fans are tired of losing big games here and there, even though it took until the last one to lose it last year, mm. that uh, there's, almost, there's almost less pressure, even in a hostile road environment. In the playoffs. I think maybe, because clearly, uh, even though the crowds this fall have been pretty good at Dana Dykow Stadium, it's just not the same. It's not, no no opponent looks at Dana J. Dykow Stadium like they look at the Fargo Dome, right. like, oh my God, we got to go there and deal with this hostile environment. It's not. Yeah. It's not. Uh, so, so yeah, you could argue that it's, you know, it's more pressure on SDSU than anything. Yeah. I'd rather and they've obviously shown they can go handle it in Fargo. Yeah. Um, and, you know... If, so, if if the Jacks are looking at going to Carbondale in December for a semifinal game, um, how many people do we realistically think are going to be in the stands for that game? You know, Southern Illinois does not draw well. I know now, maybe now that they're having success, they'll be getting bigger crowds, but the weather's probably going to be crappy. I yeah. mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they're playing that game in front of 2,000 people. I always got the impression yeah. they're more of a basketball school, but that's yeah. not, I mean, that's from being a Creighton basketball fan 30 years ago. Uh, yeah, I, I just kind of think like, with, I, the, I, I make the Nebraska analogy because it's what I know, but I think it applies. Like when you have a fan base that is like, hey, we should be winning this like this, and you start to blow a 20-point lead at home, and then you have a history of losing to North Dakota State or you know losing in the final seconds, that collective when you're at home, you get to sleep in your own bed. I was, I'd always prefer that, obviously. 
when things are going well, the stadium's rocking and electric and, you know, the other team's getting false starts because of the noise, and I get it. But if you don't play well, that collective feeling in the stadium is, here we go again. Right. Not again, you dipshits. Right. Not a, you know. And I'm not calling the Jackrabbits dipshits. That's, that's what the way the fans get. And so well, I just wonder if the way this program, it, does it still feel like with this fan base, by the way, national championship or bust? Does it still feel that way? I think so. And not only that, you know, like I said, I've been impressed with the crowd so far. I think uh, I thought based on um, – where are you going? Okay. <laughs> I forgot what I was – you see, you distracted me. I forgot what I was even talking about. Oh, yeah. I thought with it uh, coming off of COVID that the crowds would be bad um, because, you know, not very many people showed up for the games in the spring, which no one really worried about. Um, but they've been really good. And that, you know, made me think that, okay, maybe these fans are responding to the fact that they finally got to Frisco. You know, they showed up in Frisco. Like, everyone was impressed with how many Jacks fans made that trip down to Frisco. And it looked like it was carrying over into this season. But now that they just choked this big game at home, like, I'm definitely wondering if the remaining home games, the attendance will be down because people are going to jump off the bandwagon again and go up. Oh, as you said, here we go again. You know, we, we got excited, thought we were a uh, top three, top two, top, you know, number one team, and they shit the bed against Southern Illinois. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, Western is Western Illinois concerned at all? There's the hangover effect, obviously. How good of a team? They're 3-21 and 21 over the last three years. Um, but they, they lost by six to Eastern Washington, who's the number four team in the country. Uh, the week before the Jacks. When was that? Week one, week two, like week three? Week three, I think. Okay. Um, week one, you kind of go, sure. it's a wash. Sure. Yeah, okay. um, but two weeks ago, they also took – Southern Illinois has won consecutive games by their opponent going for two in overtime and not getting it. It was the Jacks this week. It was Western the week before that. So it's a game the Jacks should win. But, you know, I don't think like, – as I said in my column, they don't have the luxury of overlooking anyone after a game like that. Um, by the way – does this, do you chalk this loss up, because you, you mention this all the time when it comes to SDSU football in the Stiegelmeyer National Championship contending era of the last several years, that there's always that one loss for SDSU. They can't, I think, yep. every year, except like they were undefeated going to the No, even last year. year. No, okay. North Dakota. They every had that do, game do, in hand. Not you, in hand. Do but. you put that in this category? Yes, absolutely. You do. Okay. Because yeah. it kind of feels like. That's the highest quality opponent, plus it was a last second They were loss. ahead 20 to right. nothing. Right. And, and again, should have been ahead 31. Right. It, like, I'm not criticizing you by saying this, but you didn't see it. That's like, fine. it was 20 to nothing, and it felt like it was 40 to nothing. Okay. I mean, they were pushing them around. I don't feel bad they for not, not seeing it. I had, I had other things going on. <laughs> so that's why you're here. Um, all right. So we'll see. And, and the last one is going forward. Is Does it feel like there are significant dents in the armor? Or that this team's going to be fine. They're perfectly capable. They've got all the personnel. Coaches will make adjustments. I mean, it's good. Does, it st- does it still feel like it's a team good enough to win well, the absolutely. national title? I mean, the, the, the injuries are the question. I mean, you know, they lost Don Gardner and Isaiah Davis, and now Logan Backus is down. And um, if they keep ha- suffering key injuries like that, eventually it's going to catch up to them. But um, there's a reason they were ahead 20 to nothing and a reason yeah. that they should have been ahead yeah. 34 to nothing at that yeah. point. They're right. loaded. Right. They don't really have any weaknesses. It's not like Southern Illinois exposed them. You know, yeah. This wasn't one of these games where, oh, geez, we thought they were so good. And, you know, and Southern Illinois, no. Jack's just shit all over themselves. Okay. All right. How much weight do you put on uh, what USD is doing right now? Um, some. Yeah. I mean, they're ranked, and they should be. I mean, they probably should have been anyway just because as we've – as we always say, you know, the the last place team in the Valley is probably one of the top 20 or 30 teams in FCS just because of how good the league is. Um, but North, North Dakota is a good win. And, you know, some of their other losses, you know, they almost beat Kansas. And I, I have no idea what to make of almost beating Kansas because we all know how bad Kansas is. But still, for a USD team that we thought was maybe an average team to almost beat any FBS team is significant. You know, we talked about comparing the scores they beat northern arizona by 30 and then northern arizona turns around and beats arizona u so I, I don't know but i mean that's a big win and they still because they didn't didn't get it done in those games they lost they don't have a huge margin for error they still got to play you know the jacks and the bison i'm not sure oh yeah and they got you and i this week that's a huge one they're going to have to get to seven wins to get in the playoffs, but that's doable. And even if they don't get to seven wins, I think they're showing right now that if the Jacks think you know they're going to be nine and one 
at the end of the season and just waltz down into the Dakota Dome and win their last game of the year to clinch a playoff seed. Well, we saw what happened two years ago. You know, they, they lost that game, and I don't think that Jacks team was nearly as good as this one is, but still. Um, yeah. That Jacks team, I think, lost five games. Yeah. 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 And they were kind of limping to the finish line. Yeah. But, yeah, it's – I mean – I think I, you know, we. I think we talked about it before the season. Like with with them, it was like okay, they don't necessarily have the depth. If they start losing a bunch of guys, they might be in trouble. But so far, they're hanging in there. And well, it also shows you how football. You can't. You just can't drop the gavel, even game to game, season to season. I mean, people were starting to drop the gavel on Lamar Jackson last year, and in the playoffs, I believe the year before last year. Yeah, great athlete, can't make the. Th- well, now he makes the throws. Mm-hmm. He's you know, people evolve. A Carson Camp, it feels like it's just going week to week on him too. Oh, he was great. At, mm-hmm. He was great in the spring. Uh, he was really good the first couple games. Oh boy, he's not very good. They figured him out. Well, now he's good again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I don't know what to think yet. Well, they have a running game, which they didn't yeah. have in the spring. Yeah, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to add something to that, but okay. No. All right, that's fine. <laughs> Sorry. Well, that's okay. And where do they? And where do the Coyotes go? Oh, they are at you and I this week. Okay. Well. We'll learn a lot more about them if you can. We've go, been saying that, yeah. If you can go to Cedar Falls and win that game, how hostile? Which I think they should. How hostile though is Cedar Falls? Uh, that don't I have considered. not. I've covered three games, I think, there, and I would not say there has been a hostile hear, environment okay, you, for anyone. Oh, you have. You've been there. Yes. And does anybody talk about like, oh, it's, no? Okay. That's it's too. It's it's too big. Like, really? Yeah. There, it's, 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 place holds probably like fifteen, twenty thousand, and they get okay. five thousand in there. All right. So the dome yeah. is just the right size. The Dakota Dome. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe uh, it's not that big, but it's, it certainly feels that big. It's never been anywhere close to full when I've been there. Northern Iowa is an interesting program because they used to be the top dog in this league. Before North Dakota mm-hmm. State built mm-hmm. their empire, mm-hmm. it was UNI's empire. Yep. And they've never gone away. And they never, you know, they never made a coaching change. They, and they still just hang around. And you just wonder when they're ever going to, if they're ever going to come through again and break mm-hmm. through. But every now yeah, and then. Every time you think you can give up on them, too, and go, when are they going to get rid of Farley? Yeah. That's when they go 9-2. and two and, and beat yeah. SDSU in yeah. the playoffs. Yeah. So was that a couple years ago? Uh, by the way, uh, our Coyote Report, since we needed a little help with this, because Zim nor I were actually watching the USD game, uh, from Coyote Eric, one of our favorite listeners, he said, uh, again, USD beat UND. Was, and UND was ranked, right? I mean, they were top yes. 15, yes. top They started 10. the season ranked top yeah. 10. Yeah, I mean, they were really good in the spring. Uh, they beat USD in the spring. Uh, Eric says, only allowed 50 rushing yards, had 150 themselves. Defense really played well. And a key point in the game was in the first half when we had a punt blocked inside our own territory. And UND got the ball to 33 with USD up 10-7. to UND throws incomplete, rushed for four yards, then got sacked, pushed them out of field goal range. Absolutely huge stand for the defense. Then UND got the ball to start the second half and inexplicably burned a timeout before they ran their first play, then went three and out. And then USD drives 68 yards for a touchdown. The other big sequence in the game was the fourth quarter. USD makes a 54-yard field goal that had the distance to go 60, he adds, to go up 20-10. to 10. UND gets the ball back with 12-15 on the clock. They drove all the way down the field with short gains, got a goal-to-go situation. The defense held them to a field goal, made them chew up seven minutes off the clock. USD got the ball back, 5:52 on the clock, never got it back, never gave it back. No three and out. Uh, and make the defense cling for dear life. On to Cedar Falls, hopefully a wounded UNI after losing in Fargo. Yeah, it's so much of this. I mean, we can, we, can, we can make all kinds of evaluations of teams based off one game, based off a series of games, their record. So much of it is who do you play, when do you play them, how healthy you are, what happened in the last game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, psyche is more applicable the younger you get so in the nfl like you don't worry as much about the hangover effect right well these guys handle a crushing loss mm-hmm. uh college you worry about it more they're 18 to 22 i don't know about you but i was in college i was a basket case <laughs> and uh i still am but i was even more of one in college because i wasn't mature and then high schoolers of course like the you know especially yeah high schoolers like they they twist in the wind a lot more easily uh so yeah, but I think you. I think he's got a good point. USD might have a better shot at beating UNI because UNI is coming off the loss. When you lose to North Dakota State, no matter how North Dakota State stacks up to past national title teams, you probably got bruised up a bit. You're probably hurting, and um, so we'll see. Uh, that's about that's about that for the Valley. So I'll get back to um, this notion, and it happens. I only hear it happen when there's that one Saturday. It's usually only one. 
before rivalry week. I mean, this is a great college football rivalry week when it's all those territorial battles at the end of the season, uh, the Saturday after Thanksgiving usually. That's always an epic day. That's, what, that's, what, that's the best thing about college football are rivalries. Uh, when a 3-8 and eight team can beat an 8-3 and three team or a 10-1 and one team because it's a rivalry and mm-hmm. stuff happens for the same things I just said. But there's that one game before rivalry week where the stars align. You have some premier matchups. You know, you have a few top 25, inner top 25 battles, and they go down to the wire. And sa- like Saturday was, according to people who watch a ton of college football, of which I used to be one, like the best college football day in a long time. Because you had Oklahoma, Texas, the 11 a.m. game. Uh, Oklahoma overcomes a two-score deficit fourth quarter, wins legendarily, shootout. Uh, and uh, then at the next block, you had Iowa coming from whatever it was, 13 behind to beat Penn State. Uh, and they're now number two in the country. And then later on in the evening, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech went down to the wire. Irish and then survived. Alabama got beat. Alabama got beat. And between those two, Nebraska-Michigan was a much – I mean, it was a good – people expected a good game. That was an ABC game. So a lot mm-hmm. of people were kind of watching that between Notre Dame and Alabama. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was terrific football. But, of course, one of my old coworkers who I used to work with in Lincoln, who grew up a Sooner in Oklahoma, who's a college football guy uh, on ESPN, TV and radio, Dari Noka, he tweets – this today is why college football is so much better or better than the NFL. And I'm thinking, let's, let's pump the brakes here. <clears throat> that's, that's the best week of college football in years. The NFL gives you close, compelling games, mm-hmm. not just every week, but like every block, <laughs> you know, like the noon games, six of them always come down to the final possession, almost always. And then late games, Sunday night, Monday night, uh-huh. the NFL still is more compelling, more exciting. This football. year in particular has been impressive, yeah. how every primetime game in particular has been amazing. Yeah. So if you had one, I, I don't disagree, because I grew up on college football in Lincoln, which considers itself college, college town USA for college football. Uh, it's great to go there. It's a great environment. There's more pageantry in college football. There is more drama and wild mood swings in games because these are 18 to 22-year-olds, mm-hmm. and cra- just crazier shit happens. Mm-hmm. There's more gambling uh, that goes on in college football. I'm talking about players and coaches taking gambles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is wilder, but too often in college well, First of all, what's the point of tweeting that? What what, yeah. what what are you trying to accomplish know. by saying that? I don't know. You, it's like you're you, trying to start a fight. You feel like you're, yeah, yeah, you're just... I mean, he's certainly entitled to that yes. opinion, yeah. and it, it's not a controversial opinion, really. It's not just, really. you know, okay. Um, but, it's, it's, but what are you... What, it's speaking to his base. Yeah, it, but it also feels definitely like he's trying to start something, and, you know, I... <laughs> I used to be... He wasn't the only one, by the way. Oh, I'm sure not. I mean, and, people and, got and swept up in the moment. Yeah, and that's fine. I even have have moved on that line over the years. You know, I used to be a vehement NFL is better than college guy, and my reasoning was was mostly centered on the fact that, well, college football's fake, essentially, because there's no championship. You know, it's they're all playing a bunch of games that don't ultimately yep. decide who's the best team. Yep. There's no tournament. Yep. You know, what are we doing? And I'm not going to invest in something. Like, in theory, I always used to say this line, like, you can go undefeated and not win a championship. If that's the case, your sport sucks. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, that's still technically the case because, you know, a, a Mac school could go undefeated and probably not get into the playoff and win the national championship. But they've addressed that to some degree, and I think we'll continue to. Uh, also, I've just come to be a little bit more appreciative of – those things you just talked about as the positives about college football, the pageantry, the wild, you know, back and forth that there's so many games going on. Um, you know, I've had a few Saturdays off in the last couple of years that I never used to where I was like, man, it's kind of fun to just plop down on the couch and have 10 different games to choose from and go back and forth. And, you know, Fox, CBS, and ABC, ESPN, ESPN two, and watching all these games and, uh, and yeah, how many of the games we've seen over the last few years that had these crazy endings, all these SEC games that are just bonkers, entertaining, yeah. and back yeah. and forth, and close. Mm-hmm. Um, even the Big well, Big 12, even though it's yep. not as good as football. Yep, yep. It's always and, exciting. And so I, I've, I've moved much further in that direction, um, especially because the, the, you know, the NFL, I've never been one of those people to complain about the NFL because, well, they're all spoiled millions, and that's stupid. Uh, I don't care 
one way or the other about their pursuit of social justice issues. All those things that people complain about for the NFL, none of that bothers yeah, me. Yeah, ratings have never been higher, by yeah, the way. N- none of that has ever bothered me. Right. Um, I like the NFL. and uh, But <laughs> the other thing is, you know, how much I invest in the NFL or enjoy it often has to do with how good the Vikings are. And they're terrible right now, so mm-hmm. I'm not paying a lot of attention to it. I've, I've been more into the Sunday night, Monday night games than the Vikings. And sure. I don't even have a dog in the fight. It's just like these games are more fun to watch. Right. Um, if I had to pick one, I don't know. You know, I might choose college just because there's so many more games. You know, the NFL, there's, what, 15 games going on every Sunday, and I only get to watch five of them. You know, Thursday, two games on Sunday, Monday, and you know, whatever. Yeah. Because um, I don't have Sunday ticket, I just watch whatever cable gives me. And Ever I'm been compelled to have it, or no. even the red well, zone? I, even the red zone, which no, does all the work for you? No, no. Okay. Because I mean, the Vikings are. I only want to watch the Vikings, and sure. they're on every week, so I don't need. Yeah. I mean, I'm the same zone. way. I'm a Chiefs fan. Usually, I'm going to get the Chiefs, and I'm going to get the Vikings. If I, if I was living in Texas right now, I'd yeah. buy the Sunday ticket so I could watch yeah. the Vikings. But there you go. Uh, it's funny you bring up the social injustice issue, which was not on the docket. Not that we really have a docket, but um, I, find, I, I encountered a real-life experience with this because, A, I guess I forgot that whole protest against the protesters was still going on. I thought that was very 2016, 17, 18 with the whole Colin Kaepernick and all the kneelers. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's even a focus. I don't know how many players kneel or what, but I just thought, like, that's a dead issue, right? Yeah. So I, so I work at, a, at the golf course in the town I live in in Lenox. It's a fun little job. And uh, I work on some NFL Sundays. And, I had a, and during a Vikings game uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I had a guy come in, and it was toward the end of the game. It was this uh, – I don't know if it was this – it was either this – I think it was the Seattle game where they were winning, uh, and they were winning big. But mm-hmm. uh, anyway, he's just said, uh, yeah, I don't uh, – and he was wearing twin stuff. He was a really nice guy. He seemed like a good dude. He was sitting down having a beer with his wife. And then he said a bunch of racist shit. He didn't say a bunch of racist shit. He (laughs) just, no, he just said, yeah, I don't really, uh, I just, I don't watch the NFL anymore. I've I've been, I've been uh, protesting it. I've been boycotting it ever since the, the kneeling and stuff like that. I'm like, okay. And I just like, okay. And his wife's already rolling her eyes. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's like, I just, you know, but she's a Vikings fan. Now he's making excuses. Uh-huh. And then we, but we watched the Vikings game together and he's, he's mesmerized on every play. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then Justin Jefferson makes a couple big catches. He goes, that guy is awesome. I love that guy. And I'm like, wait a second. Yeah, I yeah. thought you don't watch. Uh, this, this guy encompasses everything that if there are still people out there who say that they're lying right. because yeah. the ratings are through the roof and right. you're just saying that for, for, just to say that at right. this point, right. which by the way, what did you th- What do you think of the whole Gruden thing? Um, Touchy subject. When I first heard the Demora Smith stuff, I was like, well, "That's ugly." Yeah. You know, I didn't think it was a fireball offense, um, but obviously, more stuff has come out, and I was still a little bit surprised he got fired. Yeah. I think. Um, I mean, I don't know. We live in a weird time now where you can get in trouble for anything. Yeah. And I certainly don't want to defend what John Gruden allegedly said and wrote. Didn't surprise me at all. No, it didn't I mean, surprise me either. Yeah, and uh, you know, one of the ex- excuses you hear a lot is, "Well, that's just how guys talk," and you know, <sighs> yeah, for a long time it was. And I'm sure a lot of more. And yes, of course, there's a lot of. He's not the only one, right? Of course, right. he's not the only one, right? Um, well, and for maybe, one thing, we shouldn't be talking like that anymore. I mean, no. yeah, I used to say all the time that things were gay and all that kind of stuff too. Mm-hmm. Society progresses, and you stop doing things that used to be okay. The, yeah. But the bigger thing for me is whether he gets fired or not, which clearly he did. Um, he is not. Th- they got six hundred thousand emails supposedly, and they're just just Gruden. He's the only one. Yeah. Like, what about the person he was emailing? Yeah. You know, there yeah. must have been some sort of back and forth. Bruce there. Allen, who was a terrible yeah. uh, yeah. GM. And then today, the uh, today Adam Schefter gets outed. Yeah. Um, which is what he did was pretty shitty. He deserves it. Uh, explain to people. I mean, th- think most people know what he did, but what do you mean? Which, he what? Uh, sent Bruce Allen a copy of one of his stories for approval. Yeah. And a bunch of people I saw on Twitter like, oh, he's just corroborating with a source. He's just checking his work. There's nothing. Like, no, that's not at all what he's doing. It's one thing to call someone up and say, do I have this fact right? I yes. wanted to double check. I'm sure you, you do, do that. You do not let people edit your story or offer yeah. them their approval or rights. You know, maybe three or four times in my entire newspaper career has someone asked me, can I see the story before you publish it? And every time I got asked that, I didn't just say no. I was like, fuck No. Like, you don't even realize that what you're asking is, like, no one ever does that. That's a big-time no-no. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Adam Schefter got fired. 
I don't think he's gonna, but that's a fireable offense in journalism to do that. I'm not um, surprised by that either. But again, I mean, how do you how do you get that good at scooping people? I suppose. But again, like, so it's just John Gruden and Adam Schefter. You got half a million emails between people in you know under the NFL yeah. umbrella. Yeah. Those are the only two that 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 did anything that was untoward that was worthy of of you know this, some level of punishment. Just John Gruden and Adam Schefter. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Well, that's the deal. Is the whole NFL going to come down, crashing down, or how far is this going to go? I don't know. The, you know, the best way I, the best way I heard this characterized is and you kind of just alluded to it is the NFL has whether you think it's a sham or not. The NFL has clearly made its point. The, for the last decade, we want to include gay people, transgender people, we want to be anti-racists and pro-equality movements, and uh, and everything under the sun. You know, I mean, they still they they were doing a wear pink. All the coaches wore mm-hmm. pink all October, and now it's all cancers. That's what you see all those neon multicolored mm-hmm. uh, team gear that everybody's wearing this month. It's because because other people are like, well, what about you know. What about testicular cancer? Well, the whole cancer? breast cancer thing was cancer? kind of a sham to sell it, pink merchandise. It anyway, is, but so, the NFL is yeah. making it clear. We want right. to appeal to everybody. We want to broaden our base. And women have become a much bigger piece of the pie uh, in the last 10 years. And so what Gruden has been doing the last 10 years mm-hmm. is going against everything that the NFL is trying to make itself to be, whether you think it's a sham or not. Yeah. So it's not surprising. And by the way, the NFL fired John Gruden, not the Raiders. The uh, the NFL well, technically get fired. He resigned. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. But I mean, the, according to I think it was Schefter, actually, because Schefter said this on Monday after the Monday night game with Lamar Jackson. He said that yeah, according to, you know, his whole inside uh, channels that the NFL was pressuring Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, to fire or make John Gruden resign. Mm-hmm. And Mark Davis wouldn't and wouldn't and let him coach the game, and then the NFL, and I'm, cons- I'm, I'm assuming that means Goodell, was infuriated. So that's and, when they went and found more emails, basically. Yeah, because yeah, at first it was yeah. just the one. So the yeah. NFL basically fired John Gruden, okay. which makes sense. So, I mean, I... Uh, but I, that it is hypocritical. I mean, <clears throat> regardless of how offended you are by John Gruden, acting like yeah. he's some sort of lone wolf or unique case, no, that's ridiculous. I don't, but yeah. does that still mean... Does it, does it mean... If, if, more, if we discover more emails concrete evidence of other people doing this then obviously yes they should be fired too well i don't but should they that's the thing like do you think so i don't know i don't know i mean how lo- how far back do these emails go because okay. i think that matters when like, i first saw the thing you keep seeing the thing you keep hearing on tv and seeing on twitter and everything is okay so now we're all going to be held responsible for emails we sent 10 years ago yeah. and that's a valid question sure or should we I don't know. You know. I mean, social media was a much different place 10 years well, ago than Well, when it is I first today. saw these reports like it was 2010, 2011, I'm like, "Okay, chances are John Gruden may have evolved as a human being the last 10 years." Well, All not, these social well, not issues, even that, not even that he evolved, but just that what things you were allowed to say have yeah, changed. Right. You know, 10 years ago, you could be a little more offensive, frankly, yep. in how you were talking about gay people yep. or transgender people. You know, watch it watch an episode of Family Guy from 2008. Oh. You know, it's yeah. a hell of a lot different it's than it is today. What, the line's always moving. Don you know? Rickles wouldn't work in this environment. Yeah. You know, all that and stuff. And so if John Gruden's getting fired for something that he wrote in an email 10 years ago, like you said, maybe he's a different guy now than but he was. Or, or at the very least, knows better than to use language like that now. Then I found out the most recent of these emails came three years ago. Okay. That as changed my opinion a little bit. As it like, should. is three years recent enough to go, okay, that's... Yeah, if he's still dropping... F bombs, and I'm referring to the gay F bomb in yeah. words like that. Then, as recently as three years ago, that's pretty problematic. And then it goes to well, that has not been during the time he's been the Raiders coach. This hasn't happened since he's been the Raiders coach. Does that matter? I, it's it's a tough one. Ultimately, I can see where the NFL is at on this one. Why they would mm-hmm. like uh, force him out. Uh, all right, uh, we're, we're toward the end. Is there uh, you you didn't? I want to I want to get to two more things. One is. <laughs> Uh, let's just stay with the I have NFL. like three minutes, so... Oh, okay. <laughs> we don't well, have to talk... We do not have to talk about the Vikings. They won. Okay. Ha-ha, Stu. Ha-ha. Did you, yeah. That's about all I got. Okay. Should have lost. <laughs> I saw what happened at the end. Uh, but what it looked like was fireable offenses for Mike Zimmer at the end of the year. I mean, he could... Now, look, they have got like Baltimore, San Francisco, the Packers twice. They have a really tough schedule. Yeah. If he can win enough games to make the playoffs and it looks good, then we will forget about this Detroit piece of crap. They would. But if they lose like they should and they finish just right on the cusp of the playoffs or 
Worse yet, seven and nine, seven and ten now these days. Eight and nine. I think it's, it's his only chance of saving his job is making the playoffs, and even that might not be enough. Yeah, and you'd be okay with that. Yeah, it's, I think so at this point. I think we. But I mean, any if he misses the playoffs, he's definitely gone. I just think I don't think he's going to get whacked in the middle of the season unless yeah. it really goes off the rails. We wouldn't call the Mike uh. Zimmer era a failure, and I think a lot of us agree. Good coach. I think he's uh-huh. a much better defensive coordinator than a coach. Just go call defense for another team, mm-hmm. and, and that's what's going to happen. Is if he wants to coach a few more yeah. years, a good team's going to hire him as a defensive coordinator. He'll have a chance to win the Super Bowl. He never won. He's better at that than being a head coach. I think by now that's abundantly clear. And uh, the last one for you is, so did you watch, I, I asked you this a couple weeks ago with the Oklahoma game, did you watch this Nebraska-Michigan game? Uh, I caught the, the fourth quarter, basically. And who did you, you've always cheered against the Huskers. Who did you find yourself? Because a couple weeks ago as to Oklahoma, you were at least interested enough to see if they'd win or lose. Yeah. Oh, I was rooting hard for Michigan. Okay, just because yeah. you didn't want to see Nebraska well, I've, get I've, that. I've been kind of a Michigan fan. When I was a kid, I was. I don't claim it anymore. What made you a Michigan uh, fan when you were a kid? They were always on TV okay. and ABC. Sure. Thought the helmets were cool, like the fight song. Yeah, um, I can see that. But anyway, uh, yeah, I was definitely rooting for Michigan. And I can see that they appear to be taking strides, yeah. especially making strides, especially on, especially on defense. Yeah. Uh, but I am still rooting for them hard to lose. Why? Just because you do. Because yeah. you can. That's what I do. Because yeah. you can. Okay, well, I'll... Uh, Let's see what happens for Nebraska and Minnesota, which feels very much like an even draw, uh, because I had people. Based on the last couple weeks, I think I'd favor the Huskers. People call me on a Twitter. Even in Minnesota. It's amazing. In my tiny little sphere of Twitter, because I was in Lincoln for five years and always had strong opinions, when the Huskers lose, I call them out. And stronger, especially Frost, the head coach, I called Bo Pelini out more than most media did. And then I would, I would, I would always eat shit whenever there was a good performance for right. any of the teams. See? Yeah. And uh, when it came to losing to Illinois, who's a terrible outfit this year, no excuse for that, but that was week one. And after, even after the Michigan State loss, where Nebraska outplayed a top-20 team, who's now a top-10 team, Michigan State, Stu's uh, Spartans. You know, I just still said Nebraska still shits the bed. This is on the head coach. They blow leads. They can't win. And... I, from that to the Northwestern game, which I attended, and Northwestern sucks, but they lit them up. And then uh, this Michigan game, and Michigan's a top-10 team, and you can, you can, we can twist that They're to whatever right? that means these days because college football is just not great this year at the top. But still, formidable outfit. It would have been a big win for Nebraska. It clearly was a big win for Michigan, the way Jim Harbaugh celebrated. <laughs> that told me a lot. Um, yes, I've changed my mind. Nebraska feels like it is going to get better and going to get over the top and I have a lot more faith and trust in Scott Frost and I I don't want him fired at the end of the year like I did a couple weeks ago and I don't think there's anything wrong with me to change my mind when I see clearly the football team is playing better and reversing or limiting the kinds of things that kept it from winning games over and over again his first three and a half years so we'll just see so but you like Nebraska to beat Minnesota huh? I do. okay I do too uh, thanks Matt appreciate it as always thanks John good times Great oldies. <laughs> Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> you guys need a round of drinks? Yes. Yeah.